When Steve emailed me the, uh, for the preaching, he's saying, James, can you preach uh, on this day? I said, yes, that's absolutely fine. And he sent through the passage that Tim had organized, um, and it was from Ephesians 3, verses 26 to 28. Uh, but the biblically astute of you will know that Ephesians doesn't have verses, uh, doesn't have verses 26 to 28. Uh, it doesn't even have 26 verses, but thankfully, I spotted the error, and you can rest assured that the other leaders of the church will hold our leaving leader and arriving leader to greater account in their inventing of scripture for, uh, for, for our preaching series. Uh, but <clears throat> if you're visiting with us this morning, we have been working through a series over, our, over the summer called In Christ. And it's an opportunity for us really to dig deep into what the term Christian means. Because the Bible doesn't really use the word Christian. Instead, it uses the phrase in Christ. Uh, and so over the course of the summer, we've heard about how in Christ we are dead to sin and alive in God. About how in Christ we are redeemed. How in Christ we are not condemned. In Christ, we are seated in the heavenly places. In Christ, we are new creations. In Christ, we are brought near. And, in this, uh, and this week, we're going to be looking at how in Christ, we are one. Our verse for this morning, the correct verse for this morning, comes from Galatians 3, 27. And it reads, for those who were baptized into Christ have been clothed with Christ. I'm just going to pray, and then we'll, we'll get stuck in. Father, I want to thank you for your word. I want to thank you for the truth of your gospel, the freedom that it brings to us. And Father God, I pray that our hearts would be open to your voice this morning, to hear you speak to us this morning. Jesus, we pray, Holy Spirit, come and afresh rest on us this morning, I pray. Amen. Now, for those of you who are sat here this morning, you may be thinking, no worries, I'm in Christ, one big happy family, no problem. And I wish the same could be true for everyone who was sat here this morning. But the reality is that for some of us here, and for a very large demographic of society that we live in, is that the thought of family and being part of family is in fact very painful and hurtful and it comes with a whole load of baggage and disruption in lives. And I don't want, uh, people say, I don't want to be part of a family because family carries too much. It's, it's too painful for me. I don't want to be part of a family. And they might even say, why, do, why should I go to church? A church family, when the church can't even agree with itself, why would I want to be part of a family like that? So as we approach this topic this morning, I want to start by saying that God, or asking God to hold us as we, as we unpack this. Because actually for some of us here this morning, being here, you are sat here holding on to the seat of your chair going, I know I need to be here, but it's too painful, or something's happened, or this has, you have been hurt in the past by church family. And so 
with that in mind, let's, st- let's get stuck into what does God mean when, he's, when he talks about us being as one? So, <clears throat> if, like me, you like to know the context of things, you like to understand what's going on in the background, let's start by looking at the history of what's going on and how Paul's writing would have been received when the Galatians received this letter. Okay, so Paul is uh, one of the apostles. He um, was originally a a, a Jewish uh, leader. He persecuted Christians. He has this amazing meeting with Jesus um, on the road to Damascus, and he turns his life around, and he becomes this incredible uh, um, apostle, a, a preacher, evangelist for the gospel, and he spends the rest of his life Uh, preaching the gospel. So Paul is writing to the Galatians. Now the Galatians is a group of churches in modern day Turkey. Okay, so geographically that's where we're thinking about. And And the church in Galatia is mainly made up of Gentiles. Okay, I've used a word there that some of you might not be totally familiar with, Gentiles. Okay, so um, in Jewish, in the Jewish context you have the Jews and then you have Everyone else who is the Gentiles, okay? So this church is made up of, the majority of the people are not from a Jewish background. And the reason that um, Paul is writing this letter to the Galatians is because he had been there, he'd visited the churches, he's got some relationship with the people who are there, and he hears, as he's left from there, he hears that there's a collection of people there who are bringing in false teaching about, uh, about Jewish, the Jewish law and Jewish rules, and he wants to bring freedom from that, and so he writes this letter. Okay, so that's, that's the background of where we are in, in, in the Galatians, and if we transport ourselves back 2,000 years, okay, what we would find if we were to arrive in a city um, around this region is that we'd find not one happy city all you know, living the perfect life and everyone getting on, what we would find is we'd find pockets of people living in their own culture within, their, within that city, okay? And people would have uh, traveled and traded, but they would have traveled and traded with the people that they were from, their own people groups. And they generally hated everyone else, okay? Um, and they didn't like each other, they would disagree with each other, they would argue with each other, uh, and it was a very segregated society uh, to be part of, overseen by the Roman rule, okay? Um, And the New Testament, a large chunk of the New Testament is written to the, and written to and about the Gentiles and incorporating them in and welcoming them in uh, to, uh, to the church. Now, this would have been a major shock for a Jewish person at that time. Because at that time, the, uh, well, in, in history, the Jews were holding out for their Messiah. They were holding out for that one person who was going to lead them to this great victory over their oppressors, and uh, they were going to be, the, the Jewish people were going to reign um, and have their uh, have their, their time. Uh, and, and so what you've got here is you've got Jewish people who are holding, trying to hold on to the law. You've got these segregated groups. And in addition to this, 
what you have to appreciate is that about 20% of the population, if not more, were slaves as well. Okay, so we've got a segregated society with people who hate each other. We've got a historical aspect of the Jews who don't really like the Gentiles, who don't really don't want, want them to be part of it. Okay, and then we also have this element of people being owned and slavery and all sorts of other things. So this is the context that we're that we're, we're arriving in as we as we as we go through this. Um, now let's place into that mix then this little bit or this passage from Galatians, which is, so we've read, for those who were baptized into Christ have been clothed with Christ. Okay, that's a fairly strongly worded bit, but if we then go on to the next verse, verse 28, there is no Jew or Greek, slave or free, male and female, since you are all one in Christ. This would have been like a loaded grenade landing in amongst the church, okay? Written within the culture of this time. No Jew or Greek. No slave or free. What Paul is writing to the Galatians here, that there is now no longer a need to follow the strict teachings of the Old Testament law. He's breaking the false teaching that they've been receiving. But instead... Jesus came to fulfill the law. Okay, if we go on to verse 29, and if you are in Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to promise. Okay, so what he's saying to the Galatians is, you don't need to worry about this law because in Jesus, it is fulfilled. And you are therefore heirs apparent with Abraham. And this incredibly exciting aspect for the, for, the, for, the, for, the, uh, for the Galatian church. The law is there. We mustn't poo-poo the law. The law is there for a good reason, okay? The law is there to show us we are accountable to God by our own works. And it's by Jesus' death and resurrection on the cross that we are then saved by his grace. Okay, amen, isn't that wonderful? So we have that truth. We can know that truth in us. What Paul is not so subtly breaking down here is how beautifully simple the gospel is and how it's not an elitist club. Okay, this, the gospel is not for the very holy or the wealthy or the people who are really good or whatever it is, whatever you want, um, caveat you want to put on it, there is, it's not there. The gospel is for all. In a society that we live in today that strives for truth, that teaches us that we should follow our own truth and respect the truth of others, it's not too dissimilar from the path or the, the, the context that Paul is writing into. Paul writes into a culture that's divided by ideological differences and who struggle to communicate with each other. I think if you look at the news Politically, do we struggle to communicate with each other? Nations struggling to communicate with each other on political issues, social issues. It's not too dissimilar. What we need to understand is that the gospel is for all people. And what is what's so wonderfully uniting for all of us here this morning is that we, as we gather in Christ, it's exactly that that joins us together. Each one of us knows that we can't do this by ourselves. It's not in our own strength. 
We live our lives daily in Christ. You are saved by grace. Ephesians 2, 8, you are saved by grace through faith. This is not from yourselves. It is, a, it is God's gift. What Paul is getting at here is that when we are in Christ, the things that separated us out, that culture would use to identify who we are, are stripped away in Christ. We are in him. And so we become, as Paul writes in Corinthians, about how a church is like a body. For as the body is one and has many parts, and all the parts of that body, though many, are one body, so also is Christ. For we were all baptized by one spirit into one body, whether Jew or Greeks, whether slave or free, and we were all made to drink of one spirit. I don't know if you've ever sung in a choir before. Um, I've conducted a few school choirs over the course of the last few years. Uh, and what happens in a school choir is that you, you get um, a large group of children who are okay at singing. Uh, you have uh, your two or three star pupils uh, who've got beautiful voices. They're loud. They're confident. And then you get those really willing volunteers who are super eager to take part, but you wish would regularly forget to come. Um, but quite often, they're the ones that are there every week. Um, and so what you get is you get this collection of um, noise, okay? But what happens is, as, we, as the choir gathers together, the sound that is made becomes one beautiful sound. If I just asked one child to sing on their own, probably it would be very nice. But if I gather children together in a choir, or as a choir gathers together, and they sing together, it unlocks something. There's something different. When you sing collectively, there's something different. There, you can bring in harmony. You bring in different tone and different expressions of, of how the words are pronounced. And it, it becomes this one beautiful thing. Now, <clears throat> obviously, as a choir, you need to have a conductor, and that would be me. One of my favorite moments, actually, is not the singing um, of the choir. We used to perform at the school that I've just, uh, just left. We used to perform in Romsey Abbey. Our carol service used to be in Romsey Abbey. And the children would wear their cassocks and there would be candles. And it was very, very British, very traditional, very lovely. Uh, but when I took over the choir, what would happen is the children would be sat on the stage and then they would stand up and they had their... And it was messy. And it just looked awful. Okay? And I just... One of the things that I brought in, I just went, that just does not work. Because they're not looking. They're not focusing in. They're just... They're just standing up as individuals. And so I brought in something called the swish, uh, which many people laughed about but became this monumental thing of beauty, which was as I would stand there and I would go like this, and all of the children at once would stand, turn to the right, place their sheet down, and then come and stand back up again. And when it worked, my goodness me, it was something to behold. It was absolutely beautiful. What's important to notice here is that in a choir, you can stand up and you'll get there eventually. But when we fix your eyes on the conductor and we move in harmony, there is something beautiful that happens. And that's the challenge for us this morning. As one, 
do we fix our eyes on our conductor, our great heavenly father? Each of us has a unique gifting, a set of skills, a perspective to bring. And the joy of church life is that we get to experience and, and, and live life together as one. As we try to understand Jesus, as we try to learn more about him, as we worship him together, we bring all these different perspectives. And on the outside, you might think, how on earth is this going to work? And, I, and it's the same with, this, with a school choir. You look at it and you go, how on earth is this going to work? How are you going to make this work? There is strength in Christ and in our diversity. It is such a joy to worship together on a Sunday morning surrounded by such a wealth of diversity. We need to celebrate all that God has done here. Whatever your experience of church, you have a place here. You are welcome here. You have a home to worship God here. We are one body. Just as Paul writes in Corinthians, the body is made up of different parts. You cannot be all parts of the body. We need each other. And it's not us drastically trying to hold each other together that we need to worry about because when we abide in Christ, we are one. We nail the swish. We've got it. It's there. Now, <clears throat> I do need to just take a moment there to just say, as much as and exciting as it is for everyone to contribute all the time, if we had that, our Sunday mornings would be fairly chaotic. So there does need to be some order, uh, but what you need to know is that you are welcome to worship freely in this space. You are welcome to worship freely in this space. Sometimes, however, with that comes a little bit of that personal perspective can get in the way. If this, we sing a song that you don't really like, or perhaps there's a key of a song, it's a little bit too high for a Sunday morning, and it can, be a, it can get a little bit annoying and it can grate on us. There are things that can grate on us. We can be too quick, I know, I, I can be too quick to judge what's laid in front of me. We know how we like things. We know how it works. We've been through this. We've done it before. We've all been to a meeting. I'm not going to ask for a show of hands, but we've all been to a meeting and got there and gone, oh, it's not him again, is it? <laughs> That's all happened. Whether it's worship leader, host, preacher, and thought, we've all thought, oh, no. There's a verse in Ephesians, though, that always challenges me and gets me, and it's this. Ephesians 5, Therefore, be imitators of God as dearly loved children and walk in love as Christ also loved us and gave himself for us a sacrificial and fragrant offering to God. Do I imitate God when I walk in the door on a Sunday morning and go, oh, it's not that person again? What does God see? God sees somebody who has stood there 
who has spent time preparing. God sees the heart of the worshiper. I need to see the heart of the worshiper. We need to see the heart of the worshiper. Colossians 3 verses 14 says this, Above all, put on love, which is the perfect bond of unity. And let the peace of Christ, to which you were also called in one body, rule your hearts and be thankful. Jesus is calling us to a people to be a people who love first and leave our wants and selfish ambition at the door. We need to be better at facing our uncomfortable moments and realizing that we need to put on love and let the peace of Christ rest in us because we are one body and we need to be thankful. We need to be better, as I've said, we need to be better at facing our uncomfortable moments and we need to face them with grace and love because that's what Jesus did. Over the last few weeks, I have been tussling with a book called Embodied. It's written by a Christian theologian called uh, Dr. Preston Sprinkle. Yes, that is his actual name. And what it does is this book opens up and explores the idea of how we better love those in our community who are exploring transgender as a conversation and exploring transgender as part of their life. Because if we truly believe that Jesus died for everyone, we need to have a better understanding of those in our society who are marginalized, who are oppressed, and who need, who need Jesus. And I want to make sure that I am ready and willing to love with grace anyone who walks through that door. No matter how much, no matter how much it makes me feel uncomfortable, because if Jesus was stood there with me, what would Jesus do? He would welcome them with open arms. And it makes us feel uncomfortable. But actually, we can love everyone. When we abide in Christ, we are one body. We are one family. Sometimes, <clears throat> life can be hard. Many of you will know that uh, I'm a teacher. I spend most of my time, uh, term time being a teacher. And one of the great things about teaching is job security. Uh, it's absolutely spot on, um, except that this year I was made redundant, um, <clears throat> which came as a little bit of a shock, um, particularly when you, well, you enter a redundancy process and everyone that surrounds you go, oh, James, you're such a good teacher, you give so much to this school, you've got nothing to worry about, you're going to be absolutely fine. Oh, great, okay, yep, yeah, that's fine, keep talking, yep. Yeah. And then the email comes in and it says, we're really sorry, but you've been selected for a redundancy. I was pretty cross at that point, sad. I went through a, a period of emotion. This is in October. went through a period of emotions. I've, 
And I said, right, God, help me do this well. Help me finish well. And the only reason I could do that was because I was surrounded by people who loved me. This church jumped in and supported and cared for me like I had never experienced before. Uh, those of you, I know many of you have been praying for me over the, over the course of the, the last year for, for jobs and all those other things. I do have a job for September, you'll be pleased to know. Um, it's certainly something that I'm not uh, particularly... I'm being pushed out of my comfort zone. I'm going to be an assistant head at a school in Hindhead, which is quite far away. Um, I've, I'm very nervous about the job, but I know that I will be fine because... I have the body, I'm, we are one together. I know that I'm surrounded by people who love and care for me. There is just one more, <clears throat> excuse me. There is just one more part to this story. So having asked God to help me finish well, two weeks ago, three weeks ago, two weeks ago, three weeks ago, I finished on the Friday and an entire year's worth of emotions caught up with me. And I was incredibly sad and um, I just I, I, and I'm still processing the sadness of, of leaving a, a school that I have loved and have been there for 10 years and we turned up on the Sunday morning Ellen dragged me to church on that Sunday morning and <clears throat> I think I must have walked in with this huge banner over my head that, that, that read this guy is in a bad place Because within minutes, I had been surrounded by friends who prayed with me. And within hours, I'd received a message from someone who wasn't even here at church on Sunday. Somebody had gone home and said, oh, James is in a great place. And they messaged me and said, God wants to encourage you, hear this. And I had an email from somebody later on that day who went, God's got you. And, the, and these people hadn't even seen me on that Sunday. I think what God is teaching me and what I think he wants to teach all of us is that we need to open our eyes to what God has surrounded us with. We need to look and see the community that we are part of, this one body that we are part of, because if a part of the body is in pain, does the rest of the body go, oh, you're done now, and just cut it off? No, it doesn't. It comes to the rescue. It comes to help and support and care. And for those of us who are, it'll be all right, I'll get on with it. I'm fine. Everything's okay. I'm fix that. I'll fix that for you. That's what you need to do because that's my character. Actually, what it allows me to do is to be vulnerable and to process what we are going through. It gives us the security that we need, that God has meant for us. Because this is a picture of what is going to be so much better in heaven when we are one, when we are restored as one, as the bride of Christ. As we come, as we meet our living Father and we are restored to our oneness with him. This is just a tiny picture of what that is. <clears throat> God created us 
to be in community. Jesus wants us to live in community as one body. The early church is really inspirational for this. If you read through the early chapters of Acts, what you find is that basically people sold everything and they gave to each other as need. They lived as a community together. And what we need to think of is, right, what skills, hobbies, interests, passions, what has God placed in us? And we need to ask ourselves, how can I use that to grow the body? How can I use that to support somebody, to care for somebody, to take care of someone? What have I experienced in my life? Never in my life did I think that I would experience, experience redundancy. That was just never a, a, a thing on my mind. Now I've lived through it, I can help others who are in the same place. I can say, I have lived through that. I identify with what you are feeling. Let's pray through it together because I saw God work in my life here and I want to see the same for you. What, what has it been? What have you lived through that is going to enable you to care and support and love those around you? How we talk about each other, <clears throat> either in person or online, is really important. And particularly when we're talking to colleagues at work or whatever it might be. Because as the church lives as one, it is the best way of showing what the gospel is all about. As we love each other, and as a result, love others, we get to, the, what people get to see is what is happening here. And it's a community that's exciting to be part of. It's exciting to be welcomed in, to be recognized, to be known, to be loved. It is what our culture, our society, this world is crying out for. And we have the answer here. Now, this is where it might get a little bit challenging and perhaps a little bit uncomfortable for some of us, particularly if you're sat here on a Sunday morning and God pops into your head, you see that guy over there, that girl over there, I want you to go and tell them that they are loved. Really? Me? You want me to go over there and talk to that stranger who I've never met? Yep. Yep. What if I get it wrong? What if I get it wrong? I can tell you that it doesn't matter because you tried. God sees your heart. A few weeks ago, we had some friends over and I felt like I'm going to share this picture with you and I was so wrong. Like, it was, it was very, very wrong. But did it matter? No, it did not matter because God sees the heart. When we speak in love... And when we speak with grace, God sees our heart. When we're focused on the conductor, actually, does it matter the distraction that goes on? If somebody is in the choir, if they make a mistake in the choir, 
but they're focused on me if they forget the words, if they don't know when to come in, if they don't know when to sit down or when to swish or whatever it might be. When their eyes are fixed on me, when, we are fi- when our eyes are fixed on Jesus, nothing else matters. Nothing else matters because we are doing our best, we are striving, we are pushing, we are heading towards that goal of loving others and serving him and worshipping our Heavenly Father. If you get lost, look to him. If you are feeling nervous, look to him. When we clothe ourselves in Jesus, when we live life with the Holy Spirit guiding us, when we love those around us, God stuff happens. Romans 3, 22 to 24. The righteousness of God is through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe, since there is no distinction. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. They are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. I'm going to invite the band to come up because we're going to respond. We're going to take some time to respond to Jesus. I'm going to find the right page. I'm just going to read a couple of passages again just to remind us and to refresh us. So for those of you who were baptized into Christ have been clothed with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free. There's no male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. We are all one.